John, huge college football TV news. The NFL's around the corner, and we have fantasy guru Matthew Berry as the big get. And Andrew, you're on vacation, and you break the news that Shannon Sharp's going to be joining Stephen A. on first take, and then Stephen A. gives you a shout-out publicly. I have a smile on my face. It's a beautiful smile on my face. Because we all know it's something that I want. It's something that I've declared uh, because I respect Shannon. I like him. I think he'd be a tremendous asset to the show, my show, which is my day job. First take ESPN every weekday morning from 10 a.m., 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. You know what time it is. It's been number one for 12 years. Don't act like you don't know. But my point is, is that it'll be great to have him. Here's the issue. We don't. Sorry, Andrew Marchand of the New York Post. It's a bit premature. Shannon Sharp has yet to sign on the dotted line to be a member of First Take. It has not happened yet. I'm still confident it will happen. I still believe it will happen. And we're back. The Marshan Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And John, let's get right to it. Who's up? Who's down? My who's up, Ryan Rucco. This news happened last week uh, where Dave Roberts, who's in charge of the NBA uh, for ESPN, said that they wanted to make an heir apparent grouping uh, to their number one team, their new number one team of Mike Breen, Doris Burke, and Doc Rivers. And they're going with Rucco, Richard Jefferson, and J.J. Redick, which you know could be, as Robert said, it could take 10 years, but it does put them in pole position to be that next grouping uh, and doing the finals. Uh, the NBA deals are up uh, in two years, uh, and there is an expectation that ESPN will maintain it. Rucco already does the women's NCAA final. He does the WNBA final. Breen, before he got the NBA finals, he also had done the WNBA finals. So it does feel like that's one of the things that does happen. I think for Ryan Rucco, uh, that's a big move. And so he gets my who's up for this week. My who's up, Andrew? I'm going to give it to Jim Lampley, who I think don't gets enough credit for his longevity in the business. Just this week, Dale Hopkins and PPV.com announced that it hired Lampley to co-host Fight Week in the run-up to the Canelo-Charlo fight that's coming up on uh, September 30th. Lampley was with HBO Boxing for three decades, inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame, and I just wanted to give him a quick shout-out here. Good deal by uh, PPV.com, good deal by Lampley. It's good to still see him around. John, my who's down is Mark Jones. We just had Ryan Rucco as the who's up. Rucco leapfrogs Jones and becomes the number two play-by-player for the for ESPN on the NBA. Jones got a chance to do the finals uh, recently, a game or two, when uh, Mike Breen had COVID. Uh, but, you know, look, if you're going to look for an heir apparent, uh, Mark Jones, he's been there for a long time, more than 30 years. He's now in his 60s, so he's similar age as Mike Breen. But uh, in terms of doing better games, uh, and during, especially that comes into play during the playoffs. Uh, Roberts and ESPN has made the designation that they're going to have Rucco on more of those games. They also have Dave Pash, who's excellent as well. Uh, but for Jones, he gets leapfrogged by Rucco, so he gets my who's down uh, for this week. 
My who's down, Andrew uh, Lee Fitting, uh, who uh, was fired by ESPN uh, on Monday of this week. He's been with ESPN for 25 years. He is known as sort of the guiding force behind College Game Day. He oversaw all of college football, the NFL, for ESPN's production outfit. What causes the eyebrows to raise here is this is not a layoff. This is not part of the ESPN layoffs. This happened five days before ESPN's first college football game of the season. Uh, It was announced via very terse internal memo from Norby Williamson just announcing that he was going, not even wishing him well, Andrew. There was noticeable shock among people that I talked to inside ESPN and outside of ESPN of people who knew fitting well. Uh, It's something that happened very suddenly and uh, something that uh, it's going to be difficult for, I think, for ESPN to uh, make uh, changes, at least in in the short term, to cover up everything that that he's been uh, overseeing. And that takes us into topic one, which is all about this. What have you heard? Well, here, number one is, so we do this podcast and um, we do it sometimes quickly after news happens. And so we hear things and there's rumors and this. So we're not going to get into any of those things. The one thing I will say is that you hit on it five days before football season began. Um, the fact is he leaf fitting in terms of this reorganization by Jimmy Pitaro and Burke Magnus. He was put under Norby Williamson, Williamson, you know, is like, he'll be the last survivor when ESPN doesn't (laughs) exist anymore. So he may not retire for like 30 years, but uh, Lee Fitting was put in a position where he was the heir apparent to Norby's kingdom. When you look at all those things and just the unexpected nature of it and the terseness that you mentioned in Williamson's memo to staff, something happened, right? and, And that's as far as I'll go on this podcast, but something happened where it's, you know, where he was just let go because as you said, it wasn't part of the layoffs. Um, he's been a huge part of ESPN college game day is, uh, the most iconic studio show I'd say outside of sports center that ESPN has ever created. Um, and I'd say, if you say the best studio shows ever, you have to, I go inside the NBA with Turner, uh, is number one and then college game day is probably two. Um, and you could have that order whichever way. And there's others that should be considered. Um, and so he's been instrumental in that and in, in many careers. Uh, but this is a behind the scenes shockwave um, through the industry. Um, and like you said, not part of the layoffs, right? This is separate from that. The jockeying for positioning uh, among ESPN executives now continues. There's always a Game of Thrones there. You know, they had just a reorganization. So maybe it would stick for a while. Um, but it has not. Yeah, and I just want to emphasize a point. It's not that we know something that we're not talking about. We need to report this out. We need to know things Things are actually accurate and true. We, we don't know exactly what happened. We've heard different versions and different stories, mm-hmm. and that's why uh, the, the, there's, there's nothing salacious here on this pod. Uh, but it's a, certainly a story that that's, could have legs and uh, people could talk about because he's very well-known in college circles and, of course, uh, NFL circles. You want to talk about the two most popular genres of programming on ESPN, NFL, college football, and then and then everything else, and that, that's what he oversaw. A hundred percent. And so for you know, Lee Fitting, we don't know if he'll, you know, what exactly happened, and so will he end up someplace? I think it depends on the details uh, of, of what transpired here at the end of his 
uh, run at ESPN. Let's go to topic two and sort of the, the news breaks that have happened over the last two weeks at ESPN and at FS1 and their studio shows. So let's start with ESPN. While you were on vacation, you came off vacation to, uh, uh, you know, they called in the reliever in, in the seventh inning. You and uh, Ryan Glasspiegel had Shannon Sharp coming uh, to uh, work with Stephen A. Smith on first take. So Andrew, Stephen A. Smith, publicly, he called you out. We had that at the, at the beginning of this podcast and said, it's not true. It sounds true. What, what, what do you know? Yeah, he didn't really, like we said the whole clip, he said, I think it's going to happen. I want it to happen. It's going to happen, but it's not happened yet. Okay, well, Stephen A., I respect his work ethic. He's been a reporter for a long time. Um, you know, this is something, especially when you cover baseball, uh, when is a deal done? Uh, kind of semantics. It's agreed upon. As Stephen A. said, he fully expects it to happen. I fully expect it to happen. So, you know, I think we're probably on the same page there. I have a feeling they might have wanted some announcement um, that, you know, things can fall apart, I guess. But I, I don't I, I ha we have it well confirmed. So um, on that aspect, I think what the interesting thing is, is just like kind of there's like a there's a studio war going on between ESPN and FS1. I mean, Shannon Sharp was, um, you know, one of the main guys, along with Skip Bayless on Undisputed. Now he'll be a two day a week guy uh, with Stephen A. Smith. Um, you know, that there's that element of it. Um, and then you had this story of Michael Irvin. He's going the other way. Uh, he's going to, according to your report, going with Skip Bayless on Undisputed. And then in play is Keyshawn Johnson, who was let go as part of ESPN's layoffs um, and, you know, has been associated with um, Fox um, as a possibility to be Bayless, to be part of the Bayless show. Um and now that one, I get it. I think that there's a feeling maybe the Fox thinks that's going to get done. And maybe it does. I do think it's a little bit tricky now with the people they laid off. I've reported that uh, Keyshawn had a five-year, $18 million deal. He's one year in. So he still owed that money. And I don't think ESPN is necessarily just going to say, oh, go do whatever you want. Like they, it's a weird thing. Legally, they're in their right. I think it's wrong personally to do it this way. But Keyshawn and anybody else who they let go wants to still be paid out their contract. They still need permission from ESPN because they own their rights. So that's a little bit of a dicey situation that I'm not sure. Um, maybe it does get worked out, but I'm not positive it gets worked out maybe in the near term. So I reported that Keyshawn was in the, he was going to go to Undisputed and was going to be a regular panelist against uh, Skip Bayless and Richard Sherman and uh, Michael Irvin. Uh, the, the, my sources uh, said that that deal had been done. Uh, I, and that's what I put out there. After my report came out, I did hear from, uh, from several sources that talked about what you, what you were talking about. And they said that there's, ESPN has to negotiate now with Fox to see if they want to allow Keyshawn uh, to go and, and actually go on to a competitor. And so right now at ESPN, you said there are four years left on his contract. Do they want to allow Fox to have a directly competitive studio show to ESPN with Keyshawn Johnson? Or, you know, is this part of a negotiating realm that, that, that's going to happen there? It's, um, there? There's still a little bit more negotiations to happen. Look, it still could happen that Keyshawn Johnson goes to FS1 and is on Undisputed, but it's just as likely that ESPN could say we don't want him 
on a competitor that's as close as Fox Sports 1 is to, uh, to ESPN. Well, and here's the thing about this. So to me, I, I get it where ESPN comes from. Like I've talked to people and tried to understand it, like explain the rationale about it. But I don't think it's right, no. right? I think it's kind of a jerk move, personally, because what they said to around 20 people who work there, we don't want your service. We don't think we don't think you're valuable. I mean, they can spin it, and they, you know, they they had their statement saying, you know, we we liked all their the work they did, whatever. It's fine. They can say that, but to everyone who was let go, um, they're saying we don't want you on. We rather, especially the ones who, we rather pay you and not have you on the air. I get it. This is all for Wall Street. It's not personal, really. It's not even necessarily indicative on the on the person's ability. But once you say that to the person, you should let them, in my opinion, go live their life. Because if you take Keyshawn Johnson's scenario, I mean, they ESPN's the one that signed the contract with him last year. They both agreed. So I get it. You could argue, well, he's still getting his money, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening and think like that sounds great, but. If you don't let someone work for years and years, you effectively end their career. Like, I, I get it. They could come back. But in terms of being able to, to, if they're out of the realm for years and years, it's hard to just come back and, and build that business up and make a, a living like you were. So I don't think that's right. It might be legal, but I don't think it's right. Now, look, they're going to come in. And this could just be negotiating where they're coming in, I think, maybe asking for 50 cents on the dollar and... Uh, maybe that's where they start and maybe it, it comes, you know, they, they, they come up a little bit and they make it, you know, more fair. But I, I don't think there's anything stopping them in terms of their write offs from allowing people to do other things and pay for and pay for it. And the other thing I don't understand, too, is that if you let go of Keyshawn Johnson, now you're paying Shannon Sharp. Now, I don't Shannon Sharp's not making nearly as much as Keyshawn was making, but you're still paying him. Right. You got to figure if Russo said Chris Russo said he's making ten thousand dollars a show. Uh, you have to figure that Shannon Sharp's at least making that much. And as a Hall of Famer, you know, where he is, I could see him making even more than that per show. Let's say he does 100 shows, right? That's $1.5 I, I, You know, so like, is that right? Is my math right there? <laughs> we're, we're reporters, not mathematicians. Yeah. Not a mathematician. You do the math. Come on. Yeah, one point, right? that's 100 times <laughs> would be, yeah, $1.5 You know, I don't really understand how they figure that out, like how that really makes any sense to anybody but Wall Street. Uh, but so anyways, in this little war between FS1 and ESPN, now that's a new um, twist and, and part of it. Yeah, it, it is leading into negotiations, like we've, we've both said. And I, I think there's also the sense of, you know, doing this deal and ESPN being in the dark of it. You know, they... they, they they hold some cards that they feel like they should, should have been you know, like forewarned about this, I think, or earlier than they were. Let's go to topic three, um, which has been a big topic for the first 101 shows of this podcast. We got into it on uh, episode 100 last week, Amazon versus Apple. We both got a lot of feedback from it. We got a, an email sent to both of us that said, and I'm quoting here, Andrew, Oranda's right. Exactly. Top exact. Top exact. Oranda's right that the streamers aren't fully there yet. I, I, I enjoyed that one. What I didn't enjoy is on Apple, we had um, Coog's fan give us a one-star review, Andrew. It said generally five-star, but the challenging over Oranda and not letting it go on the streamers and sports was unlistenable. Cooks fan, you didn't have to go all the way down to one star on that. I mean, my goodness. 
Was it Eddie Q? <laughs> it could have been, yeah. Here's the thing. First off, that the email that you referenced that we both got, I mean, you took the, the only part you took was that where he said Orand was right when the whole, the rest of it. Here's I, the bottom I'm an line. Ag- I'm an aggregator, Andrew. You're an aggregator. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we got feedback from a lot of networks because there is a feeling that the networks are the ones who are still winning and the idea that Apple and Amazon are coming in and just you know, eating their lunch and then they're being disciplined and then the networks aren't being disciplined. Yeah, no, I mean, look, here's the thing. It's a topic because they're insurgent and who they are. So like, you know, they're there. I, I like saying that the Yankee ESPN is the Yankees of sports media. Well, these guys are the Yankees of business. So, and I know you, John's going to tell me the Yankees are in last place, but you get the point. Okay. The, the Yankees, uh, you know, historically of what they're known for. Yes, they're going to be a big topic. And yes, they, you know, you talked about them being disciplined. I think people from, you know, some of the networks sort of argue that they've been disciplined. You know, for example, ESPN, you know, said no to the Big Ten. Um, They could have done a deal with the Big Ten and overpaid. And they said no to that. They didn't do. Now, this is a lesser deal, but MLS, you know, so they've they've picked and chosen uh, themselves. And so I think that's where and then production wise, you know, there's always a big point of contention is that Amazon, you know, had, you know, used NBC and, you know, hired Fred Goodelli, brought over Al Michaels. But like, I get it. But the bottom line is if they did it that way, that's how they did it. I mean, if it's good, they made their own studio show. Um, and like, all right, don't, don't outsource to them. If you guys don't want to help them out, uh, that, that's the bottom line. And, and yeah, I think, you know, that's where I get into, you know, how, what, what are we going to see from these streamers? Because I don't know if they really want to build up like big production staffs, and I don't, I don't think so at all. I think they like to house the games and sell the games and sell their subscriptions. And the rest of it, I don't think they're as eager to get into. So over time, the business will either change or the digital players may not be as big in the in it as they, they've been. Yeah, and I, I think the point that I generally make on this is that there, there has been more than a decade of leagues – teams and conferences pointing to these deep-pocketed Apple, Amazon, Google, and saying when they come in, you know, they're going to come in and and as the cable bundle collapses, we're still going to make our money from these digital companies. And what we've seen so far is that they're not. Apple is a, a, a company, and that th- this is where we have a disagreement sometimes. You're so wrong but, about this. I, go <laughs> I, I don't understand how you can see this is wrong. Apple has decided yeah. that, they, that they are going to drive very hard bargains, and they're going to make the conferences and the leagues share in the risk. The, uh, Amazon has decided that they, they, they're not interested in sports that are outside of you know the the NFL or or the NBA. You know, they they put a bin in for for uh, the the Big Ten. They're kicking the tires on on NASCAR, but the the NASCAR deal is for. Uh, how many sports are you gonna? When you say like they're not interested, how many sports are you gonna mention? We're like five. You didn't mention soccer, Champions League, and they are in. We're well, we're, we're 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 focused. You're five we're, sports we're, in. You're telling me they're not interested. We're focused on the U.S. market, and and okay. we're also we're on also focused on the uh, the NASCAR deal is a deal of six, potentially six races. It's not coming in in a big way. Like this is not ESPN and they're not designed to be ESPN. They they don't want to get all these sports. The the, the idea that these, uh, that these leagues and conferences have an exit ramp to digital is it's a folly. It's not there. It's there for the, the top sports 
and and for the types of sports that that make very specific sense for Amazon and for Apple and for Google. Okay. So, and we won't belabor this. We'll get to Matthew Barry in a second. But you just said the NFL, Amazon just paid a billion dollars a year for it, right? They're going to be big. They're going hard after the NBA, right? Then um, Apple is a little bit different. Like they haven't spent the big money as of yet. They went down the road with Sunday Ticket. It didn't happen. But they did an MLS deal. That's what they want to do. They came in low on the Pac-12, and now it's the Pac. You know that that conference is in trouble. Um, and so, uh, and they probably will be on the NBA. They, what they want to do, but I do think there's. I think again, everyone always says Apple's going to buy this, going to buy that. I mean, the idea. We, you know, I wrote this about a month or so ago, and now it's, it's some other places have also written about this, and um, you know, the Apple getting really into sports with some kind of partnership or buying ESPN or something going on with ESPN that makes a lot of sense. And that will fast forward things. Then all of a sudden they'll be very big into sports. Um, and then Google and YouTube have Sunday ticket and the red zone channel. So like those are, so the NFL, yes, has led the way. Um, and it's going to, it's different what they're trying to do, but the idea that they're not getting the sports rights, they, they're, they're all in sports. They're just, it just doesn't happen in a day and they just haven't just eaten everyone's lunch and you think they should go in on the penthouse and you have to understand with some of these sports, you just start on the ground floor and you build your way up. If you're advising medium to small leagues that they're open for business, Apple and Amazon, you would be giving really bad advice to them. But I didn't say small leagues. Okay. Yes. That's a different discussion. That's a different discussion. But you say that now. This isn't a small league, but when base- it's a Pac-12. Well, you were talking about the cable bundle. When you talk about baseball and and hockey and the NBA and where that's going to go, and I'm not saying they're going to make the same amount of money as they did with cable, but that distribution likely is going to go to digital players. So they're going to be very involved in that. And where does that business? What's build? a digital player? Is it ESPN Plus? Is it Peacock? Or or is it? Yeah, those is are all it digital a- players. App- is it Apple and Amazon? Apple and Amazon still haven't gotten a package of sports rights that any linear TV uh, network wanted. It still hasn't happened. Thursday Night Football, everybody passed on. MLS, everybody passed on. Pac-12, everybody passed on. It still hasn't happened. I, I just, you know, we're seeing a trend now, Andrew. By, by the way, digital player, Amazon already has the Yankees. Oh, you keep bringing up the Yankees. A couple of games, a couple of games in the New York market. And 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 they also took a, a they, they took an equity stake in an old old media of, of of Yes Network. You keep saying they're not getting involved. All right, we, we don't want to. Yeah, this is going on for too long, and and Kooks <laughs> fan is going to take away his one rating and give us a negative rating on this one. Whatever, you know what? It, it's a big topic. I we'll probably continue to talk about it. I'm sorry. Kooks. Yeah, let's get to Matt Barry. John, let's bring in the big get Matthew Barry. We all know Matthew Barry, fantasy guru. He hosts Fantasy Football Happy Hour weekdays at noon on Peacock. Every Sunday, you have Fantasy Football pregame with Matthew Barry. Very smart to get your name in the title, as we did. They can't let go of you then. Uh, that's at 11 a.m. on Peacock. And then, this is pretty big for a fantasy expert. Uh, he joined it last year. He's on Football Night in America. Uh, kickoff next week, Thursday, September 7th. Chiefs and the Lions. And here's the thing, Matthew, the thing that impresses, like John and I do this, right? We cover sports media. So we, in this podcast, we talk about people who right. talk about sports. All right. So you've done something that I think even one ups us. And this is, I think, incredible building a whole career about 
talking about something that's not even real. How did you do that? That's amazing. Right. <laughs> yeah, fake football. Yeah, exactly. It's it's um, you know, I I tweet this out like every 4th of July where I say something to the effect of you know, I, I'm uh, proud that I live in a country where I'm free to somehow make a living wearing makeup and talking about <laughs> fake football on the Internet. And somehow I, I, I've managed to make a living at that and uh, a nice one. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a long story. But uh, the short version of my origin story is, is that, you know, kind of a nerdy kid, loved sports, loved statistics, read every possible thing I could read about sports. And I read the original Rotisserie League baseball book back in 1984 by Daniel Okrent, the founding father, and, and everyone there. And, uh, and so read the book, and I was a pretty good tennis player, believe it or not, as a kid. I was ranked in the state of Texas. I was recruited out of high school. And I, uh, so I took private tennis lessons. And my tennis coach at the time, as I walked up to my private tennis lesson, I'm 14 years old, and he's talking with his best friend about this in this weird language. And I'm like, are you guys talking about rotisserie league baseball? And they're like, yes, you've heard of it. And I'm like, yeah, I just read the book. You guys have heard of it? And yep. this is, again, this is pre-internet. This is pre-cell phones, pre-anything. You had to keep stats by hand. And so they were like, yeah, we're thinking about starting a league. And so 1984, I was in one of the first ever fantasy baseball leagues in the country. I've, I've later gotten to know Daniel Okrent, who told me the Fat Dog Rotisserie League of College Station, Texas, one of the first 50 leagues in America. And uh, so, yeah, me... Uh, me, a 14-year-old kid, and like a bunch of 30-year-old adults did this league for the first time, fell in love with it, did it my, you know, all through uh, high school, college, went out to Hollywood, became a screenwriter for TVs and movies, and then in 1999, and just played in multiple leagues, really got into it, and in 1999, World, which pre-being owned by NBC, advertised looking for writers. This is the days of AOL CompuServe, you had to dial up to get into the internet. And I wrote them a note. I said, hey, I'm a professional writer living out here in Hollywood, but fantasy sports is my passion. I would love to write a column on the side for you guys. It just I think it'd be fun. Can I try out? Can I send you a sample? They wrote me back the next day and said, we looked you up on IMDb. Married with Children is our favorite show of all time. You're hired. So because I wrote mean wife jokes for Al Bundy, I got a chance to write a free column for a low-rated, uh, low-traffic website on the internet back then. But... It worked out pretty well, and I think I'm a pretty good writer. The column took off. After about four and a half years, I was by far Roto World's most popular columnist. And people, this is now 2004, people are starting to make money on the internet. The bubble had burst, and people were actually starting to make actual revenue on the, on the internet. I thought I had a big enough audience that I, maybe I could start a blog and do something like that um, uh, and make a few bucks on the side. So I made a deal with Roto World to they would promote my column. I would write for them and they would link to me. And I went to every radio station, TV station, website I could find and said, I will come on your air for free. I will write for you for free. Just link back to my website. Just mention my website. And of course, when you're looking for promotion in the world of sports, again, this is still pre-social media, pre-Facebook or MySpace, any of that. Uh, you know, you go to ESPN. And so that was one of the first places I went. And so um, uh, Mason in Ireland, Steve Mason, John Ireland, who are still out there, uh, at ESPN Radio 710 in LA, they're legends. Uh, Mason was a fan of my column. And so he's like, oh, we'll let you do a segment. And so a segment led to two, led to an hour, led to filling in. And I just sort of got in there. And then through there, I was able to, I started doing a segment on cold pizza, um, which led to ESPN News, which led to me doing stuff for ESPN the magazine. And then, and I'm still making money. My real job is as a screenwriter. But in 2007, 
ESPN came to me and they said, listen, we've been talking internally. We think fantasy sports, specifically fantasy football, is big enough that we need a person. We've been talking internally like we need our Mel Kuyper. We need to find a Mel Kuyper for fantasy football. And we like all the work you've done for us. So we'd like to buy your website, move you to Connecticut and make you the guy. And it was a, it was a two-year deal uh, in 2007. And I ended up doing 15 years uh, at the mothership. And, uh, and then, you know, last year, obviously, left for NBC. So that's sort of the, that's the, uh, the origin story. So uh, it's been an, a crazy, miraculous ride. It's, that's pretty awesome. Now, a quick thing on one thing you just mentioned. How good a tennis player were you? Did you? Can, I know you went to Syracuse. I don't think. Did you play at Syracuse? I didn't play at Syracuse. I could have. I was good enough to play at like either a bad D one school or a really good D two D three school. My my biggest claim to fame, and again, I, you know, so. Um, but there there was a kid that played named Alex O'Brien, and I don't know if you know that name, Alex O'Brien. Hardcore tennis fans would, but Alex O'Brien won the, I believe he won the singles, doubles, and team title at Stanford. And he, he was a pro player for a while. I think he got to the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open one year. And so he was like the best kid in Texas when I was growing up. And so I played him, and I think I, I, think I lost to him, but I got like, it was 6-3, 6-3. Like, I didn't get my ass kicked. Pretty so, <laughs> like, uh, you know, I, I got six games off Alex O'Brien. So that's about, that's how good I was, I think, just in terms of, like, I was good enough to, I got recruited by bad D1 schools and good D2, D3 schools. But I knew... Um, you know, I had a really uh, candid conversation with my tennis coach and my tennis coach. I was like, how good am I? Let's, you know, and he said, you are good enough to make a living off of tennis. You are good enough to be a pro at a country club. He goes, but if you, if you dedicated your life to it and trained and, you know, watched video and, you know, went on a macrobiotic diet and worked out every single day, you know, and really, really worked hard and caught a few breaks, maybe, maybe you could get top 350 on the European tour. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I was yeah. just like, okay, that, you know, right? like, you yeah. just like, I was, I was good, but I wasn't great. And um, so I kind of moved on from there. You're like 350 on the European tour. What do you make about? Oh, I, I think, you know, I think back then, not a lot of money. So John, I guess fake sports better than real sports. Uh, absolutely. Andrew, we, we have the self-described nerd in the building, but this nerd just did a deal with, listen to these names. John Legend, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Casey Wasserman, Jaguars owner Tony Khan. Uh, you've been in the news, uh, Matthew. You raised $2 million for Fantasy Life. Take me through that. How, like, how did this happen? So I wrote a book you know, a while ago called Fantasy Life. did very well for me. It was a New York Times bestseller and spent many months on the list. And I thought based on the success of Fantasy Life, I could start some companies off of that brand and expand more. And obviously, we've seen a number of sports personalities start media companies around them, right? And so I've taken my inspiration from a lot of different people. And so I, you know, I had this newsletter and we had, we had started out, I had a merch store, uh, you know, and we were sending, we were sending uh, emails out through the merch store and with fantasy advice in it. And the whole point was just to sort of like, you know, uh, sell more hats, hoodies, and t-shirts. You know, we were like, so if you signed up to buy something at fantasylife.com, you we got your email address and we would send you fantasy advice. And so I'm friends with Austin Reef, who is uh, the co-founder and the uh, CEO of Morning Brew, which is a very well-known newsletter for uh, millennials of our own business. Very successful. And I said to Austin, I said, hey, man, like, I don't know anything about emails. Like, can you give me some advice on like, we're just trying to, you know, sell more hats and hoodies. And he looked at my numbers and he said, yeah, here's my advice. Forget your merch store. This is your business. 
focus on your newsletter. This is like you're doing about 8 billion things wrong with your newsletter, but you're still doing better numbers than we did in year three of Morning Brew. And I'm like, okay. So he gave me some, gave me some advice and I, uh, I took the money that I'd earned from the merch store. I hired my, uh, I hired a CEO and then, uh, so that was March 1st, 2022. And we bootstrapped the whole thing. And so it always been sort of off to the side and we, we bootstrapped the, the whole thing for a year. And we'll just like, let's see how it goes. And it went really well. And we did, we did seven figures in revenue. We were profitable and we added a number, I think on April 1st, 2023. So 13 months later, we hired employee number 12 and we're now to, we're now up to 13 and we're looking for number 14 actually. And so with that bootstrap and people were starting to get the email and we started getting people saying like, Hey, I really love this. Are you going to, are you going to, you know, take some investors and everything like that? And I was just like, I hadn't really thought about, but okay. And so, uh, so I went around to, it was important to me to, to want to control it as much as possible. And so in terms of the fundraise, it was, it was important for me to, to get people that we only, the only people that are invested in the company are people that we invited to invest. We, we specifically did not want to go out to venture capital in a big way. We wanted strategic investors. And so we, we kind of carefully hand-selected a, a bunch of people that we thought were influential that would help us, whether it was building a media company that had success in building newsletters that obviously had fame, that had interest in fantasy football. You mentioned you know, um, uh, guys like you know, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. We wanted fantasy superstars. We're a fantasy football and sports betting company. We wanted um, account around content, so we wanted some of the people we write about. So Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Austin Eckler, Jamar Chase, Thrilled to have them on the cap table. And then people that I, you know, that are in my network that I have tremendous respect for as entrepreneurs, that people have built businesses that understand that. So, you know, they're they're not only investors, but they're on our advisory board. So, you know, Maverick Carter, who's LeBron James' business partner and brilliant in his own right. Uh, you mentioned Casey Wasserman, obviously, in terms of everything he's done with with uh, Wasserman Media and I mean the the Olympic Committee and I mean, you know, his, he's just a legend. Chad Hurley, who's the co-founder and the former CEO of YouTube, and he's, you know, co-owner of the Golden State Warriors, co-owner of LAFC. Uh, you mentioned Tony Khan of the Jaguars and what he's built with AEW and Fulham FC and True Media. And so all of them are people that are obviously big names and, you know, can afford to invest or, you know, active invest. But they're all, you know, George Pine is another one, right? They're all people that have built things which was really important to me. We just didn't want quote unquote rich people. We wanted, we wanted people that were, that had specifically built things that were entrepreneurs that understood what we were trying to build and that it had success in some form of sports, media, entertainment. Um, and, uh, and so our cap table, there's, you know, some people that you guys haven't heard of, but we have experts on our cap table in SEO in marketing in sports betting affiliate in, uh, you know, in social media and, so it's uh, it's very it's very deliberate, and we're we're thrilled with the, the response we've gotten from the community, both in terms of when we pitched it, we got a lot of yeses, which was exciting. It took us about six weeks to raise it, so not a lot of time in, in this environment. And uh, obviously, the the coverage has been phenomenal. Now, when you left ESPN to go to NBC, it was a little bit of a surprise. But what you just described, you could never have done at ESPN, right? A thousand percent. I mean, honestly, that that was one of the catalysts, right? I mean, listen, I had a great run at ESPN. I have nothing bad to say about them, but you know, my contract was coming up, and they came to me and they said, they said, "Look, Matthew, we really love you. Um, we want you to stay here for a long time. We'd like to sign you to an extension, but 
we need you to get rid of Fantasy Life. In my previous contract, I'd had a carve out for Fantasy Life to build businesses based on my book. I, I had a seven year contract. My last contract with ESPN was seven years. And, you know, I think from there, I don't want to speak for ESPN. My, my impression of their point of view, which I understand on some level, which is they're like, hey, you know, the stuff we agreed to seven years ago, we wouldn't agree to now. The media landscape has changed significantly. And I'm like, yes, and I probably wouldn't have agreed to that number now, you know, that I agreed to seven years ago, right? I mean, that's what happens when you sign a long-term contract, you know. Uh, but, you know, so I think their take was like, hey, we want you to stick around, but we want you to focus just on ESPN. We want, you need to get rid of these, these side businesses. And at this point, you know, as I talked about, I, I was like, well, I've, I've been, you know, putting some time and effort into them and I, I see some momentum and I've, I've gotten some inquiries. And so I, I don't want to give them up. And so, you know, then it was like, okay, well, if I'm, if I do have to give them up, then what's in it for me? You know, what, what's ESPN going to give me? And, you know, they, um, the, the conversation that we had, my role wasn't really going to change. You know, the other thing, and I've, I've said this, which is like, um, certainly at the time, I said, I want to be a part of NFL coverage. The way ESPN is set up now, and we'll see if it changes under, under new leadership, but at the time that I was there, the way it was set up is that the fantasy department and sports betting department are completely separate than the NFL coverage. You know, and like, this is something I wouldn't normally go into, but you guys are inside baseball. But, but just basically, I reported up into Norby Williamson. So my my section, and at the time, NFL coverage did not report up into Norby. It was a, it was a separate part of the company, and so it was just very separate. And so, had a good relationship with all those people, and you know, really liked them. But just it was very separate, and it was clear to me that I was never going to, you know, you never say never, I suppose. But um, I asked to be a part of NFL coverage, and they they the response was, we can't guarantee that. And my thought was, well, I've been here 15 years. You sort of know what I am. And like, I just felt like there wasn't going to be an opportunity for me to be a significant part of ESPN's NFL coverage. And again, all due respect to ESPN, because they have done a, they've made a lot of money and they've been really successful with their NFL coverage. And I think they do a really good job in a lot of areas. And so I, like, I, I don't fault them, you know, for wanting to run the business. They want to run the business, but um, in terms of the way they wanted to run their business and what I wanted, they were just two different things. And I think as we continue to have conversations, this is what they put in the press release, and I think this is accurate, which is they're like, Matthew came to us with, an ex with a desire to express, to explore other opportunities. And after just some discussion, we've described, we've decided to, you know, uh, support that. I forget the exact phrase they use, but support that, allow that, whatever it was. And so, you know, we parted friends, you know, and, uh, and you know, I got to do a last show for Fantasy Focus, which, you know, not a, uh, not a lot of people get a last show at ESPN. And, um, so they were very gracious to let me have that. It was awesome. And, you know, so anyway, nothing bad to say, but that was, but to your point, John, that was correct, is that the, what was really important to me was I wanted to be a part of NFL coverage somewhere and I wanted to build fantasy life. Those are my two things. Matthew, just take, I want to go backwards and forwards here. When you were at Roto World, originally uh, the president now of NBC Sports is Rick Cordella. Was he the one, I think he created, he was one of the creators of Roto World, if I'm not mistaken. Um, was he, uh, was he the one who paying you 125 or whatever per column uh, back then? Or how did that work out? <laughs> so he, by the way, I mean, I was working for free. I think I, the highest I ever got paid was 50 bucks a column. I think after four and a half years, I got up to 50 bucks a column. Um, you're sort of right. So Rick Cordella and I started at Roto World within a couple of weeks of each other. 
So um, I know him well. I've known him for a long time. He was one of the big reasons why I wanted to come to NBC Sports because of my comfort level with him. Him and I have remained friends over the years, and we've had we've had dinners and you know seen each other's at conferences and you know text a couple of times a year, literally over you know almost twenty years now. So um, I knew. I knew as I was sort of, you know, exploring, like I decided to leave ESPN and I'm like, okay, now where am I going to go? And I talked to a lot of people. There was a real comfort level with Rick um, that helped quite a bit. There are a lot of reasons to, that I chose NBC, but one of them was certainly was my relationship with Rick. So he didn't create Roto World. Um, okay. Some other, other guys did, but uh, yes, him and I started at Roto World around the same time and, and, you know, had a good relationship when we were there for four and a half years together. Do you make more than 50 bucks like per week from NBC now? I do. I do. I know you're really good about reporting uh, what everyone makes, Andrew. Um, And so, yes, I can I can give you the exclusive. I do, in fact, make more than fifty dollars per call. How I do it at the moment. Fifty. Now we need more cars. Do you make more than we'll do that on the podcast? Um, Now, being on Sunday night, though, a couple of things. Where do you see like obviously we watch and see how they use you? Why do you think fantasy, you know, has become mainstream? We all know how big it is. You know, you don't have to tell us. And, and this, the audience that uh, I think listens to our show, everyone knows how big fantasy is and how important it is, especially to the NFL. But why did you feel like, you know what, I want to be mainstream and not just on ESPN2 doing um, a show? And obviously with NBC, you do the Peacock shows and you do the extra shows, some of them in the local markets as well and local affiliates. Um, but why on the Sunday Night Football? Why was that important? Well, I think for for a long time, fantasy by some old guard, and it gets better every year. But you know, people are like, hey, "It's it's not real football. It's fake. It's annoying. It's uh, you know, you're rooting for play. You know, you're not rooting for teams. It's not it's not how you're supposed to engage with the game, right? And it it's nerdy and it's niche and all this stuff. And so I've always been. I mean, you know, I've dedicated my life to fantasy football and you know, uh, to a le- to a lesser extent, sport betting. And I I've always my thing is is I need to leave fantasy football better than I found it. Fantasy football has been great to me. Without fantasy football, I'm not at ESPN. If I don't go to ESPN, I don't meet my wife. I don't have my family. I met my wife at, at ESPN. You know, we, we have five kids now. I mean, like, so, I mean, you know, fantasy football has been really good to me, right? And um, and it's put a roof over my head for many years. So it's important for me to push the ball forward, to use a sports metaphor, and to leave it in better shape than I found it, if you will. And I'm a big believer in that when you talk about fantasy football, that you are having a football conversation, that you're engaging with, um, you're engaging with fans, and I'm a big believer that when people are like ah, that's not the right way to you know enjoy sports, and you're like, what do you mean? Like there are people that enjoy sports because they have a bet on it. There are people that enjoy sports because they love that team. There are people like I root for Texas A&M football because I grew up in College Station, and my father lives and breathes Texas A&M football, and so that is a big way that my dad and I connect. Is we just we talk Aggie football. And so, like, that's that's a bonding moment. I know people that go to games because they love the social aspect for it. So there's a million different ways to engage with and enjoy sports. And there's not there's no one right way to decide, right? And, and so I always push back on that. And, you know, you'll find that fantasy players, they're more engaged. They're, uh, they watch more football. They read more. They listen more. They're the avids of the avids. Average football fan watches a little about about three hours a week. Average fantasy player watches over six hours a week. They're more likely to, to watch other games. Um, if there's a bad game on Monday night, you know who's watching? It's it's fantasy players and sports betters who are hoping um, that have a rooting interest beyond just whatever you know the Texan the Texans versus the 
you know, Buccaneers or whoever it is. That was a little schedule shade there from an NBC guy to a to ESPN. I'm just kidding. No, it wasn't. I'm just joking. You could have gone Cowboys, Eagles. You could have gone a lot of options. Schedule schedule release day is always really fun at NBC. I'll just leave it at that. For years and years and years, fantasy and sports betting hasn't really been a part of NFL pregame shows. And it has it's always been shoulder programming. It's always been and like even when I would do a little thing for Monday Night Countdown, I'd be from my own set, you know, and they'd throw it to me and I'm on my own set and I do 45 seconds and then it goes to commercial. It wasn't an integrated part of the broadcast. And what you've seen a lot of times is either either that, some sort of like, you know, very one-off, it's clearly not, quote, part of the team, or you're having ex-players that clearly don't play, that have been given a script that are sort of like going through the motions because there's some sort of sponsor element to it. And I, I... You know, when I left ESPN, it was so lovely, uh, you know, the people reacting on Twitter and um, and on social media. And I, it was, you know, just a literally one of the best days of my life and really amazing. And so I had this momentum and I thought there was an opportunity here to try to break through that, for lack of a better way to describe it, glass ceiling of trying to get on to an and that was like a that was a that was a that was a deal breaker for me. Like I had to be. Not not some one-off, like I had to be part of the team. Like I had to be part of the team on an NFL uh, pregame show. And so, you know, we had multiple conversations with multiple, uh, with every single uh, partner of the NFL that has NFL broadcast. We had multiple conversations, me and my agents. But ultimately, you know, NBC, for a variety of reasons, just became the clear, obvious favorite. And, you know, John has answered your question, why Football Night America? Football Night America, it's the number one show. Like it's it's the number one studio show. It's 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 the show of record. It's a it's something that I've been a fan of for a long time. And I'll just this is an inside baseball story that I'll tell you. Uh, but I think your audience will enjoy this, and you guys will get it. So my very first day at NBC, Sam Flood, the legend Sam Flood, who's the executive producer of of all of NBC Sports, says, "Hey, come to NBC at like nine o'clock in the morning, whatever, in, in this conference room, you know." And, and I'm like, okay, so it's sort of my first day. So I show up at the conference room, and in the conference room is every single person you can imagine at NBC Sports. It's like 40 people there. And Pete Bavacqua there, the chairman of NBC Sports, Fred Godelli, new uh, NFL Hall of Famer Fred Godelli, the producer, legendary producer of Sunday Night Football, like all these people, right? And they're all there just to welcome me to NBC Sports. And Sam Flood stands up in front of these people. He says, hey, I would like everyone to take, I called everyone here, I just would like everyone to welcome Matthew Berry to NBC Sports. Fantasy and sports betting are part of how we cover the NFL at NBC Sports. It is not some third rail, it is not off to the side, it is part of our coverage of how we cover the NFL, and Matthew's going to lead our efforts there. Please welcome him. And how do you not, like, get goosebumps at that moment? Like, you know what I mean? Like, everything I dreamed of, you know. So, Matthew, you've worked your way on. You're now part of the pregame show. You're, you, you, you travel to the games. You're at the stadium. I'm sure you've game planned this in your head. Is there a, a component to the live game that you could see fantasy becoming a part of? Or, or more specifically, you being part, a part of? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, obviously the NFL has a, has a big say in terms of how all their partners present the games, what they, what they say, what they don't say. And that's a conversation in terms of, of uh, fantasy and sports betting that's continuing to on go to to go on and way above my pay grade, but no question about it. I mean, I think you know there was some concern. Okay, we added a fantasy and betting guy to the full time, you know, 
to Football Night in America. Okay. And by the way, ratings were up last year. I believe, you know, I believe our ratings were the highest they've been since 2017 on Football Night in America. So, okay, good. All right. We added the fantasy guy and ratings went up. They didn't go down. Like I didn't crater the show. Okay, good. So I think as the NFL and as their broadcast partners and everyone gets more and more comfortable with fantasy and sports betting being integrated into game broadcasts, I think you will see that. I think you'll continue to see that. The first step was, you know, the tickers, right? Okay, now there's actually fantasy stats on the tickers. You know, before it was just stats that fantasy players had to do the math in their head. But now you're starting to see some, you know, actually some fantasy things in the in the tickers. And you're seeing now me on a pregame show. And I'm hopeful that other networks follow suit. And then ultimately, I think, yes, I think eventually, whether it's in-game, whether it's halftime, whether it's an alternate broadcast, I think you'll see all those things in the future that are geared more towards fantasy players and sports bettors. That's just in general. I'm not speaking specifically for NBC. No, this is, this is my like final place where I wanted to go, you know, in terms of uh, questions that we had for you, Matthew. You've kind of been very good, even though... You came from the writing side and, you know, you're writing scripts and then you came into this, but you seem to really have had a great path in terms of understanding media and where it's going and making good decisions. So there's a question John and I get all the time. Uh, and, you know, I'd love to hear what you think. Where do you think media is going? You know, you can get, you can get into betting, you get into fantasy, however you see it. Where's sports media going? People are listening. Where is it going next year, five years, 10 years? What do you see for, you know, people like you who are, you know, especially, you know, broadcasters, writers, uh, people um, who are kind of forward-facing. What do you see? Where is it going? I think it becomes more and more fragmented, obviously, is where where I think it's going. There will still be big tentpole events. There will still be, whether it's the Sunday Night Football or, you know, uh, the Olympics, Kentucky Derby, Indy 500, just to mention some Big Ten football, right? I got to be a company man. Like, so NBC sports events. But whether it's those or whatever, the Super Bowl, the, you know, the Final Four, um, college football playoffs, any, there'll always still be those big tentpole events that everyone will rally around. But the fact of the matter is, is that, I mean, you're already starting to see it, right? You're already starting to see, you know, whether it's, um, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I formed Fantasy Life, right, is, is to try to take advantage of that wave. But we've already seen it with, you know, from from Simmons to McAfee to Portnoy to Clay Travis to Levitard to to the Manning brothers. You know, there's there's all different versions of it, but they're all all of those all of those people are talents that have significant fan bases that have turned their fan bases into into content through the lens that they that they distributed and you know Simmons with the podcast and McAfee with YouTube. But like I mean the fact of the matter is is that it um, everyone sort of figured out kind of their lane. And I think you're going to see continue more and more people like that. You know, Ariel Hawani is another guy that, right. That just sort of had a big platform and said, I'm going to go do it on my own. And I think you'll see more and more of that as we, you know, Andrew, you've reported this a lot in terms of, and they've now announced this publicly, like, you know, ESPN will be a direct to consumer business at some point. And you're seeing, obviously I'm thrilled to be part of football nine America, but part of my mandate here at NBC is to help grow Peacock. You know, I'm 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 truly blessed that I have a I have a nice fan base that will follow me wherever, and they've they've followed me to NBC and the, you know, Peacock's very happy with both shows with Fantasy Football Happy Hour and pregame, and so and we're continuing to build that, and so that's going to be I think more and more important. So that's my take on sports media is that I think it continues to become more and more fragmented as people get younger. My kids, I have young kids, and so I have like from 25 to 11, so I have a wide range. 
but they consume sports on TikTok, on YouTube, on, on Instagram. Like they're much more likely to send me a clip from TikTok or Instagram than they are, you know, hey, get, you know, let's let's get together and watch this, you know, fight together or whatever it is. Yeah, the challenge that I see with that fragmentation, which obviously is where things is, are headed, is that everybody you named built their audiences off these big brands like ESPN or NBC. Yeah, and that's the challenge. It's interesting. I mean, like, and there will be people that will come up and figure that out. But I mean, probably the next generation, there's always going to be ex-athletes. But I think more and more, you're going to see people that have that have built followings, whether it's on social media or whatever, become become more influencers, right? But I agree with you. All of us, well, no, I, I disagree with that. I, I was going to say, no, I was going to say, like, Portnoy yeah. built it brick by brick. McAfee, you know, he was on Barstool a little bit, but McAfee really built it by himself. You know, the Manning brothers were famous for football. Um, you know, everyone got there a different, uh, different way. Clay Travis is another guy, you know, again, controversial figure, but he absolutely has an audience and I, he didn't really build it. I, he did some stuff with Fox, but I don't think he really truly built it with major media. So I don't know if I, I push back on that a little bit. I certainly did. I'm, I'm ESPN helped me build my audience for sure. Yeah, but I disagree. Yeah, no, like, with all due respect to my partner, I totally disagree with him, which happens often. Um, <laughs> because I think, actually, you could argue almost all those people, the Internet, not that they built it, but the Internet gave them the tubes to go to direct-to-consumer. And I think for you as well, I mean, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but before you got the – you wouldn't – ESPN wouldn't have wanted you if you hadn't built up an audience without ESPN. Barstool, same thing. McAfee and the Mannings have the NFL behind them, but still same thing. Um, so I think, look, I, I'm on record. I think ESPN is still very important. ESPN is going to be a big part of all of our sports viewing lives, and it's going to be integral. So I'm not one of those like ESPNs like has been. It's just that's stupid. That said, I think there was a point, and actually I joined ESPN at the same year you did, 2007. Uh, you had much more successful run than I did. But the, um, but the, uh, but you don't need ESPN. Right. That's the thing that I think is the difference is you don't need ESPN. And I do think there was a point where when we were younger, um, growing up in the you know late 80s and 90s, uh, for at least for me, John, I mean, you're a little bit before that. Um, the uh, you you wanted to get to ESPN. That was like the place. Now, I don't know if you need ESPN. I would argue you don't necessarily need. It's great to be at ESPN, but you don't need ESPN. I think to me, that's the. Difference. Oh, you certainly don't need ESPN. But like the, the, the idea of growing growing a fan base with everything being so diversified, it becomes harder or it becomes different. It's both harder, but it's also in some ways easier because if you, because it is so fragmented that you're looking at smaller audiences that if you can just sort of break through, like McAfee is a great example, right? I mean, like there's a debate as to who needs, you know, McAfee doesn't need ESPN. McAfee had a great setup, right? You know, and, um, and like that's a deal that made sense for him, and you know I, I like Pat a lot. I think I'm a fan. I think he does a great job, and so um, you know. But he built that. He built himself up, like right. I mean, so all the people we just mentioned, and and I appreciate that, Andrew. That's right. I did. I had built up a certainly a bigger audience when I was at ESPN, but I had a fan base. My talented Mr. Roto website had a had a nice size audience for a fantasy audience in 2004. We had a we had a good subscriber base in 2004. Dan Levitard, you know, he would guest on, you know, PTI and stuff like that. But he was a very popular columnist for the for Miami Herald, I believe, before he ever got onto TV. Like, he developed a fan base as a writer 
before he ever got on TV. So I would argue all those people, and there's, I'm sure there's, I mean, you know, um, Colin Coward is another guy, right? You know, Colin's terrific. And Colin, Colin was a very popular radio host, I believe, in Portland um, and Vegas before he came to ESPN. And obviously ESPN made him bigger, but like he proved that he could get an audience and carry it on whatever platform he had. You know, it's it's rare that it's rare that you get to any major media company with zero with zero ability to drive an audience, you know, that with zero proof, unless you are already famous because you're an ex-athlete or an ex-coach or something like that. All right, Andrew, I have one final question uh, before we go. And I, I can't have Matthew Barry on this pod without bringing up the Washington Commanders. Big fan of the Commanders. In fact, I, I, I think that one of the reasons that you got into fantasy football is because the Washington football team has been so bad for so long. Like, what else do you want to do? It's like, I, I need to root for other players, right? Yeah, I need to, right? We're, we're you know, usually we'd be eliminated by the first week of uh, November. And so now <laughs> at least I have the group of players that I've selected, not, not Bruce Allen. Uh, I trust myself more than Bruce Allen. So, yeah, for sure. I trust you implicitly. What's the win number this season? What, what, what are we going for? Boy, don't ask me the day after Sam Howell was just awesome on uh, – the, on Monday Night Football, the Ravens, the Ravens um, streak is over now. Preseason streak is yeah. over. Look, I, I, I will. I'll, I'll give you an answer in a second. I will tell you that it, to me, it doesn't matter. The answer is it doesn't matter because <laughs> we got rid of Dan this Snyder. This is dead true. That's the yes. answer. Like we don't. It don't we're, we're playing with house money. We got rid of Dan Snyder, the worst owner in professional sports history. A man that said he would never sell actually did sell, um, and so you know. God bless Josh Harris and his ownership group. It doesn't, it, honestly, it doesn't even matter what we've done this year. It, it, when, the, when the day it officially happened that, uh, that Snyder sold and Harris took over, I said, was the, I did this on social media. I was like, it's the fourth best day in Washington football fans' history. The three Super Bowls and today is literally the fourth best day in Washington fans' history because we are finally rid of Dan Snyder. I'm going to say 10 wins is going to be my, uh, I think 10 wins. Like, I think Howell can play. They've got good skilled players. The defense needs to stay healthy. But, um, you know, it's a tough division, obviously. But I'm going to say 10 and 7. That's my prediction for uh, the commanders I this year. But it, honestly, it doesn't matter, John. I hate to disagree with our guys. 15 wins. Book it. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, I want to see, as we end, I want to see the Joe Buck, Josh Harris handshake between the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> I will try to do it smoother. That was, it was, Yes. So it, it was, uh, yeah, little, little awkward there. Little awkward there. I've had my own awkward handshakes on air myself, so I can't, I can't throw too much shade there. Um, it's still better than Dan Snyder. Well, listen, Matthew, this was tremendous. Um, great stuff on your career, on the media, and I really enjoyed it. And I, we really appreciate uh, you coming on. And best of luck with. I could go over all the stuff, but NBC, your newsletter, fifteen shows, busy guy. Uh, talking about fake sports, uh, which is amazing. Honestly, you got to be on like the a building sports media career. I got to do is like with like, like don't take this the wrong way. I think you're you have a good humor. Inane stuff like Ravel's on that. Like you know, um, I don't think we don't make it, but we cover sports media. So let me just be clear that covering sports media is on the inane. You know, is is, is on that would be like considered. We don't make it, but it would be considered. I think you got to put Ravel. Like, you got to be on there. I got to think of my own. Mel Kuyper is probably the first person i mean covering the draft and making it to what it is and i agree with you because all these things they do they're a way of covering sports like i would i would argue about the media like we cover the nfl 
Like we don't just cut, you know what I mean? Like this is how you watch the NFL, these billion dollar deals that they do. This is all, this is how pe- the players get paid. It all, it all inter, it all intersects. So, uh, Props to you. Congrats on the great move to NBC and all the success uh, with you, the investors um, and continued success. Thank you, my friends. Really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I try to stay out of the uh, everybody because I know everybody wants to cover sports media. So I try to stay out of your lane. <laughs> um, I'll, uh, you know, I'll hit you guys up if I hear anything. But, yeah, I'm uh, it, it's been great. It's been a magical run. I'm really excited. Uh, I listen to this podcast. So as a listener and a fan, it's it's a thrill to be on this show with you guys. You guys have both been very kind to me in your coverage of fantasy sports and my career, so I appreciate that as uh, as well. And yeah, it's been uh, it's been great. And and thank you, John, for the kind words about uh, fantasy life and the newsletter. We're we could not be more excited. And a few more fun announcements coming on uh, for that company as well in the next couple of weeks too. Wow, we're all ears. Congrats, Andrew. I always love talking to, to Matthew Barry, and, and I especially just like how he's uh, grown the fantasy business and he grew it at ESPN and he's also grown it with his, his own uh, a fantasy life. Hearing him talk step by step how he's able to do that where he just got two million dollars of investments from very like bold-faced names like really well-known people I think that that really speaks to what he has built uh, with his career. 100% uh, very impressive. I love talking to people like Matthew because uh, he's as into media as we are, uh, which is always fun, especially for the big gets, which most of them are. Uh, but like we can get into kind of the weeds of what he's thinking. And I think, you know, the fragmentation uh, that he spoke about, I think that's true. You know, niche is going to be uh, very important. Uh, but yes, there are going to be these tentpole events that, um, that, you know, I think when you look at like what the NFL, everyone wants to copy what the NFL has done. It's a unique sport in terms of how it's set up in the Super Bowl. Uh, but there is a, um, you know, that, that never, I don't think that's going anywhere probably ever. And I think fantasy helps it. Uh, so he's been on the cutting edge. And I, I, I really do. Like, I, I think, you know, some of these people who've done this kind of get social media. They're, social media is mean to everybody. But, like, you know, the Ravels of the world. And not that I'm putting Matthew, it's, you know, Ravel, it's different. But, like, I don't know. I think it's pretty incredible that they've built careers, very lucrative careers, off of these one subjects. And Mel Kuyper you know, might be the godfather of them all. So, Andrew, that's the end of an, another our 101st episode. I uh, want to uh, say thank you to the master of the board, uh, Chris Mason, AC Wyatt, uh, the uh, producer who puts this all together. Thank you, and thank, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see. I think we both believe I'm doing this again where I'm putting words in your mouth. I will put the words in your mouth. You can't put words back in your mouth. You don't put words in my mouth.